Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is the final part of our Passover series. Lead Pastor Jeremy Flanagan challenges us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every day of our lives. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover not too different from how the Jews continue to do it today. Now, if you've ever seen things about the Passover, you've seen pictures of the Passover plate. I actually found one that kind of made it easy to learn. And you can go ahead and throw that image up. And it's like a little plastic Seder plate. And it actually has the six sections and has the names of it on there. And um, unless you've got really good vision, you're probably not going to be able to read the names on the plate. But I put those things up there, and it just has six different elements. Uh, You've got the shank bone, uh, which they also have either lamb or chicken or or other meats that they'll make a sandwich out of. But the zoror, the shank bone, is is on there. Uh, You have lettuce. You have the bitter herbs. You have an egg, which, which they say symbolizes the loss of being able to do sacrifices at the temple. You have all these different things. Um... And, and it has all specific meanings. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, the Jews were simply told to sacrifice a lamb or a goat and to get families together to be able to, you know, share the entire uh, animal and then to have bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And so those were the three elements. Those were the three things they were to do. The, uh, the lamb is being the, the blood sacrifice, which God always said that that blood sacrifice was... Necessary for the forgiveness of sins. The unleavened bread was to remember how quickly they had to pick up and leave from Egypt. And then the bitter herbs or the bitter um, you know, salad or however they looked at it, whether it was that in the beginning, it became to represent for them that bitter bondage of slavery in Egypt. Since then, they've added some things to it. They've uh, put some more things in there, just like we do in our traditions and That's not necessarily always wrong. Uh, It's very important that you, on things that God tells us to do, that that we keep those special and separate, and that we don't try and change those things up. Uh, But they've added other traditions and things with it to, you know, symbolize different aspects of their faith. Especially once the Jews lost the temple in AD 70. So when Jesus was crucified and rose again around AD 33, Um, And, you know, calendars are different, and so I'm just giving you the basic numbers. You can go debate, you know, week schedules and everything else. But around AD 33, when Jesus was crucified, and then around AD 70, which is when the Romans destroyed the Jewish temple, since that time, for the last, you know, over 1,900 years, they have not had a temple to worship in, and more importantly, a temple to be able to perform their sacrifices. And so the Jews developed different traditions and elevated different parts of their Passover celebration to kind of take some of the emphasis that they lost now that they can't have the lamb sacrifice. And so that's what we talked about last week. They had the four cups. And um, the four cups uh, that they have, the four cups of wine that they drink, they, well, they do this at different points throughout the Seder. And they, uh, you can put that slide up, and it has the representation about what these things mean. And for them, it's the four promises they were given in Egypt, that I will take you out, I will save you, I will redeem you, and I will take you as a nation. 
Now, those things were settled on fairly early, but it was around, uh, you know, the second century that they finally kind of codified most things into, you know, hard practice that they haven't changed much at all. And it was around then that they finally decided on a fifth cup. And so around, you know, 150, 100, 150 years after Christ, they decided and settled on having a fifth cup, and that's what they call the cup of Elijah. We talked about that last week, about how, uh, how that symbols for them that Elijah will one day come and that he will announce uh, to them that the Messiah is coming. Of course, we spoke about how they've missed out that the Messiah came in Jesus. We've spoke about how they've missed out on that promise and that thing that is special to them. And so when you see the different four cups and you see that they even added a fifth cup trying to say, well, no, Jesus wasn't it. Jesus wasn't our fulfillment. We're waiting for someone new. We're waiting for someone different. Um, One of the other things that they elevated in its importance that I didn't talk about much last week was the bread, the unleavened bread. And so pull back up the picture of a, uh, uh, we've got a, a full Seder plate. And this is kind of a, you know, looking out, and that's uh, a little classier than the plastic version. Um, but you have there at the bottom right, you have three uh, matzos, or matzah bread, unleavened bread. So bread that's just made from flour and water um, that doesn't rise and, and everything else. And so you have those three pieces of bread there. And um, while they're sitting out there nice on the table, actually typically in a Seder, at least a lot of times in a Seder, they'll have a little uh, pouch that they've sewn that has three sections in it. And so each of these pieces of bread is in its own section. And so that will be on the table or it'll be even under the plate. And then at the beginning of the meal, they take the second piece out. And I mean, it's very specific. There are three pieces in order. They have names. They take the middle one out, they tear it in half, and the larger part of it is folded up in a napkin or a linen, or sometimes they'll have a pouch. You can actually see that on the bottom left on your screen, the uh, afikoman. And that is put in there on the pouch, and it is then hidden. It is taken, it is wrapped up in linen, it is hidden away, and then it is brought out at the very end of the Seder, And they eat it kind of as a course of dessert. And so this is one of the things. The fifth cup didn't happen until the second century, or at least it didn't become accepted. This process of why did you have three matzah, um, many places had two. Actually, the Jewish law says they're only to pray over one and a half pieces. and, uh, And that's what they consume. The third, they don't. However, by the 12th century it became common custom for them to have the three pieces. And also in the 12th century, it became accepted practice that they were going to tear the one in half, wrap it in in a cloth, hide it away, and then people would bring it out later. Actually, if you saw in that picture of the little pouch that the Afikoman was in, it had a picture of a little kid on it. Uh, Depending on where you go in the world, depending on how they do it, the parents will go and hide it. And that at the end of it, then the kids have to go find it. So it's, it's their version of Easter eggs. It's just not like chocolate. Um, but the kids go and find it. Or in some places, the kids actually go hide it, and the parents have to go find it. But I think it would be way more fun because kids would 
really try. You know, parents want it to be work, but want them to find it. The kids, they don't want the parents to ever find it so they can laugh for like an hour while they watch them scramble around. But that practice didn't really come into play until eight, 900 years ago, which is by, by Passover terms is recent. That's recent history. And so while most of the elements, the bread, the wine, the lamb, the breaking of the bread, the having different prayers, we see some of those elements all happening during the time of Jesus because those elements were happening with Christ. He actually took the elements of the Passover meal and before it took the Jewish people to kind of you know, get down to the point to where the, the, the wine and the bread became the two central elements and the focal points, Jesus did it in Luke chapter 22. We read a larger passage of this, but in Luke 22, it said he took some bread and he gave thanks for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of the wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with by my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so when you pull back up the picture of the Seder plate real quick, and you have that picture on the bottom left, the afikoman, which is the piece that is torn in half, and the larger piece is put in there, the smaller piece is left on the table and consumed. Uh, One of the matzahs is, is not, and then the third matzah, is uh, matzos is used as a wrap to make a sandwich, a Hillel sandwich. And so, why did they start doing this? It was not part of the common practice at the turn of the millennium. You know, it wasn't common practice during the time of Christ, or at least we don't know of it. It wasn't accepted practice until around the 12th century. So there was a long space in between there that some of these traditions developed and then they eventually had to decide what we'll accept and then they had to attach meaning to. And so when it comes to the three pieces of unleavened bread, well, there's nowhere in Scripture that says three pieces. There's nowhere in Jewish law that says three pieces or Mishnah until, you know, a thousand years later. But it finally became practice where they attach a meaning to it. And on the next slide, I've got different groupings of what they say they mean. Now, I would say the most common acceptance is that those three pieces of unleavened bread represent Kohen, Levi, and Yisrael, which are the three parts of Jewish society, the priests, the Levites, and just the normal Israelites. That's probably the most common. Um, However, then you have a lot of people that say that they represent the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll have some people that attach a uh, a more of a spiritual type meaning to it, that it's the crown of learning, the crown of priesthood, and the crown of kingship. And then others that say that we have three pieces of unleavened bread because Sarah, whenever Abraham and Sarah were visited by angelic visitors, that she baked three cakes. What that more or less tells you is that it took them over a thousand years before they decided three pieces is what we do. And so they decided and they attached meaning to it. It it took a long time to develop, right? It's like whenever we have different parts of our celebrations that then we attach meaning to. Well, they didn't start off with that meaning, but we like to have symbolism. And so they have three pieces, and it reminds them of the Israel society. It reminds them of their patriarchs. It reminds them of 
of learning priesthood and kingship. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that it's something that developed over time. But then why the piece that they tear in half and they put half of it wrapped in cloth and they hide that piece away and then when everything's over, they go find it and it's brought out again. Now that's a little trickier because in the 5th century, they were told not to partake of the afikoman. That was in the Mishnah. Fifth century, don't partake of it. But at that point in time, for our best guess, is that was referring to either the Greek practice of after a meal, there was, you know, kind of partying and everything else. Um, and sometimes the partying had things that, that uh, the Jewish culture, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't too keen on. Uh, and so maybe it was that. Um, others said that it was talking about different desserts, more or less, that the Passover is supposed to be a solemn occasion. And because it was supposed to be a solemn occasion, you didn't end it and then just start having a party, right? And so um, after time, then they said the ending of the Passover has to be with the eating of unleavened bread. And then by the 12th century, that word afikoman and then eating a part of unleavened bread became to mean the same thing. But where tearing in a half comes, no one really knows. No one really knows. Now, your Messianic Jews, which are Jewish people who accepted that Jesus was the Savior, they say that they know. They say that that was a, a Messianic Jewish practice. So Jews that believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that they began doing that as they celebrated their Passover to represent Jesus, represent the Trinity, of the three pieces and to represent Jesus and that ultimately, eventually, as that got accepted by the larger dispersed Jewish community and then became part of their practice. Again, no one really knows. So I share a lot of facts with you the last few weeks and I share you some of this symbolism. And to me, why there are three pieces of bread is interesting, but I can't tell you why. They can't either, though, so... None of us can. We can all attach our meaning to it if we want. I can tell you it represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why they take a piece of it and they tear it in half, the middle piece, which typically when we say the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, well, that would make more sense than saying that we're ripping the Levites or the crown of priesthood or Isaac in half. Where that came from, we don't really know. Where they came up with some of the other things is unclear, but in the end, to me, the important thing is, is that you have all of these different pictures of faith that we can see fulfillment of Christ in, not just through the Passover itself, not just in the fact that the New Testament tells us that Jesus was our Passover lamb, but from the fifth cup of Elijah, where they're waiting for the Messiah, to the unleavened bread, to the, the cups of wine, to all of those things, we see pictures of Christ that people missed out on. Now, Jesus is our bread. That's what he told us. That's what in Luke chapter 2 he told us. And that's what when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we take communion, that we celebrate that commemoration of his sacrifice. And as we talked last week, it is hard for us to look back on. As believers of Jesus, it's hard to look back on all of these things in the Old Testament and all of these practices and say, how did you, you know, I, I can't believe that anyone would not see it. But it, it's just not that hard to miss out. 
Some of us in this room, it took a long time for us to accept who Jesus was. Some of you here today are still struggling with the question of who is Jesus. Some of you may believe in Jesus, but you're just not sure about all the aspects of Christianity or all the the different things, and, and so you're still struggling with doubts. It's not hard for me to think that they could miss out on so many signs when each one of us and all around us, there are people missing out every day. I want to share a story, jumping out of talking about the Passover and to talking about Jesus, about Jesus being our Passover sacrifice. John chapter 6. John chapter 6 has a couple of the most well-known stories in the Bible. And then the ending of it is one that we probably don't preach on that much and isn't as well-known. But John chapter 6 starts off in, in verse 1. And this is after Jesus has been healing people and he's been performing miracles. He's been doing all these great things. It says in John chapter 6 and verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Remember that. Huge crowd followed because they had seen the miraculous signs. They had seen all of these healings and everything else. Verse 3, then Jesus climbed a hill, sat down with his disciples around him, and it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? If you don't know the rest of this story, Jesus takes those five loaves and those two fish and he, he continues to kind of divide the, break the bread up and divide the fish up and then give it to his disciples to carry out and feed people. And he continues to take those five loaves and two fish and divide it up and it just can, miraculously continues to multiply until he's fed the whole 5,000. And there's a part of the story somewhere that actually talks about in the end that they had 12 baskets left, which I just love the picture that each disciple who had doubted how they were going to feed this crowd ended up holding an extra basket of food to show them the power of God. And so the people followed because he had been healing people and doing all these great miracles. They got miraculously fed, so 5,000 people fed, and, uh, and they know all of this. Well, then it says in verse 14, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely is the prophet we've been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. So the people were wanting something out of Jesus, but he wasn't there to provide. And so he said, all right, I'm slipping away. I'm doing these miracles to show you I have the power of God. Jesus did miracles to show them his authority, but... They just liked the miracles. They weren't necessarily worried about the power of God or his authority and the scripture and everything else. They just really liked the miracles. And so Jesus slipped away, and in the night, his disciples couldn't find him, so they got on a boat and went to sail back across the lake to their home in Capernaum. And that's where another famous story happens. Whereas they were sailing, and there came a storm, and everything was getting tossed around, and Jesus walked out on the water and walked across this sea to their boat. And so... The people followed because of the miracles. He fed 5,000 people with just a handful of food. I don't know if the crowd knew about him walking on the water, but still yet, 
pretty exciting. And so then they wake up the next day in verse uh, verse 22. The crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat. And they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Silver boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So, Jesus, his actual words were, he said, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. You know, you're just following me because of the miraculous signs, but you didn't understand them. And their reply in verse 28, yeah, but we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? So Jesus says, don't worry about this. And their answer is, yeah, yeah, we know. We know that's what you say, but that's what we want. We want to perform those works too. Verse 29, Jesus' answer is, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. So this isn't about performing miracles. This isn't about doing great things. It's not even about you being a good person. It's not about you earning anything. It's not about you getting fame. It's not about healing someone. It's not about feeding someone. The one work that Jesus wants from you is to believe the one he sent. That's it. They answered, okay, but show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Besides healing all the people, which is why we followed you in the first place, and then feeding 5,000 of us even though you just had a basket of food. What else can you do? I mean, that that impressed us yesterday. We slept, we woke up, and we want more. We want more of the stuff that you just told us not to worry about, but that's what we want. So you gave us the miraculous signs, and then you told us "That's, that's not the point, that's not what you need to worry about. But we woke up today, we want more, even though you say, that's not important. So is it really that hard to understand how people missed out on who Jesus was? Is it really that hard to understand how people can miss out on the fulfillment of Scripture in the Old Testament? Or the different elements of the Passover, the elements of other Jewish celebrations, different feasts that point to the Messiah? Is it really hard to understand how they miss out? So they told him, they asked, what can you do? In verse 31, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. So they didn't just get a miracle one day or two days. They got it for 40 years. So come up with the third day of miracles. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And here's Jesus referring in his early ministry to then what he shares with his disciples in Luke chapter 22. And he says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread that every day. Again, they were missing out on what Jesus was trying to tell them. They just wanted more of what they wanted. That's all of us. We just want more of what we want. We don't want more of what you want. We don't want more of what you tell us we need. We want more of what we want. 
It's human nature. And so that's why God doesn't require anything from us for salvation. Because if he did, it's pretty obvious we couldn't provide it. It's why he told them all of these great works and everything else. That is not what God wants from you. The only work he wants from you is just to believe. And that's not even a work. That's the only act he wants. He just wants you to believe. He said this is who he is and this is what he's done. And he just wants you to say, okay, I'm just going to rely on that. That's it. So Jesus kept saying and he told them, the true bread of God is the one who comes down, in verse 33, from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. And Jesus replied in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. And that's really our question and the question of Easter. These people started following Jesus because of all the miracles they had seen. Then they saw him do a miracle on a larger scale than he had ever done before. And I don't know if there were whispers about the fact that this guy walked on water across a lake in the middle of a storm. But if not, somebody should have let that slip out. But either way, all of the healing people, all of the feeding thousands, that Jesus is like... If, if that isn't going to do it for you, then I can keep giving you miracle after miracle. I can provide what you want day after day, and it's just not going to be enough. You've either got to believe in me or not. And he said to them that y'all haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. And by nature, seen everything that I've done. That is the message of salvation. That Jesus is who he says he is. He did these miraculous things to show that he had power over this world. And then he gave himself, as he talked about that he is the bread of life. He goes on in this passage and he talks, and it's like three times. He says, I'm the bread of life. And they're like, yeah, but we want other stuff. And then he says, I'm the bread of life. And they say, yeah, but we still want more works. And he's like, I'm the bread of life. You have to eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood, to which they're going, yeah, this is really confusing. But they, they miss the simple part, which is that all the miracles aren't the big deal. You just need to believe in me. And that wasn't enough for them. And so Jesus kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. And they said, this is too difficult to understand. We're walking away. We're walking away. Because they were looking for something else. The Jews that crucified Jesus were looking for a different Messiah, Right? They wanted a Messiah who would rule them as a king, who would make them powerful again. The Jews on this day were looking for Jesus the magician. Or Jesus the free ticket. And these other people across the sea heard about a free lunch yesterday, and they came on the boat that morning. They wanted it too. Sometimes people go through life, sometimes we struggle with, we're looking for a different Jesus than who he is. Maybe we struggle in our faith at times, or maybe we struggle in accepting Jesus for who he is because we're looking for something else. We're like, well, we believe in Jesus, but we're believing in Jesus because we're expecting him to fix things. We're expecting him to take maybe the messes we've created and and make them all okay again, which sometimes is a harder miracle than feeding 5,000 people. We, we want Jesus and following Jesus to mean that all of our decisions are right. We mean following Jesus means that all of our relationships work out. We, mean, we want that following Jesus and believing in him means that 
all, all of the things that we struggle with become easier. And when those things don't happen, when those things aren't given to us, then we're saying, yeah, this other stuff you're talking about, Jesus, that's difficult to understand. I'm going to go find somebody who can give me those things that I want. Why? Because it's what I want. And Jesus says that's not what's important about Christianity. What's important about Christianity is that the one thing God wants from you is just believe in me. And you're like, yeah, but I want what I want. Since I'm not getting it here, maybe you're not the real thing. It's not hard for me to understand how we struggle with Jesus because people have been struggling to accept him for who he is for over 2,000 years. Whether they had Old Testament scripture to look to, whether they had all these different feasts and festivals that pointed to him, whether they saw the miracles with their own eyes, they had a difficult time accepting Jesus for who he was. And that's our question today, is do we accept Jesus for who he is? As we wrap up this morning, I want to read most of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is the passage that told the Jews who their Messiah was going to be. It told the Jews who their Messiah was. And in verse 1 of Isaiah 53, it says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? By the way, same word for shank bone. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. In verse 4 it says, Yet it was our weakness he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, But in verse 5 it says, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Now, people who didn't accept Jesus for who he is said, man, weren't his disciples good? To try and make all these things happen and fit the description of the Messiah. Man, they, tr- they did all these things to try and make Jesus look like the Messiah. I want to tell you that this is the simplest prophecy to read. That's most clear about the type of suffering and the type of, uh, of end that Jesus would meet. But there are so many other scriptures, whether it be in Zechariah or other places, that point to the Messiah that were so impossible for one person, even with a team of handlers, right, to meet every criteria, to be able to make them meet who the Messiah was to be. But in Isaiah 53, when they were told who the servant was going to be, the man of sorrows, 
the one who carried our weaknesses, the one who was despised and rejected, the one who people at the time said he was being punished for his own sins, but the reality is, is he was taking on that suffering and that crucifixion, carrying our sins, unjustly condemned, led away, had done no wrong, but was buried like a criminal in a rich man's grave. Every single point, every single point, perfectly described in the life and the death and the burial of Christ. And then in verse 10, but it was for the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I want to tell you today that all of this that we see here and so many other places and so many pictures of different festivals and anything you look at, anything you look at, it points to Jesus. Shown here so clearly in his life, in his death, and in his burial. And then because of his resurrection, because that he, by his own power, because he is God, came back to life on that third day. As the scripture tells us, to show us that he has power over sin and death is why then we read this and we see that everything that was accomplished, that God's righteous servant, Jesus Christ, his son, has made it possible for us and for anyone to be counted righteous. For Jesus will bear all our sins. And what's the one thing that Jesus asks of us today and does so for everyone throughout history? It's the same thing he did on the side of the Sea of Galilee that day in John chapter 6. He said, the only thing God wants to see from you is to believe. You may be concerned with a whole lot of other things in life. And you may be here today, you may be struggling with a lot. And you may be saying, but, but Jeremy, I, I need God to help me in these other areas of life. And you're right, you do. And God can. And I'm telling you that, yes, in everything we struggle with and everything we deal with, when we follow God, when we follow God, when we follow the, the path and the plan of Jesus Christ, that it helps in every part of our life. But just like all of those other things that the people wanted, those aren't the most important thing. Believing in Jesus is. We may be searching for answers to all these other problems, but if you haven't fixed the one problem, and that's, that's just believing in who Jesus is, if you're not just simply you know, placing your faith in him, then that's what you need to do today. God will help you on the rest. We can work through all those other things as we work through prayer and scripture and surrounding yourself with the support of other believers. But just like those people on the side of the sea, you have to answer the question, am I looking for something different or am I gonna accept who Jesus is? As our worship team comes forward and we prepare for a time of response, I just wanna ask you today that answer that question for yourself. Have you accepted Jesus for who he is? A savior who came and who did great things and who changed people's lives. I mean, he absolutely changed people's lives. And we're not just talking about the ones that he brought back from the dead or the ones that he healed that uh, they were able to walk again or they were able to see. 
Jesus changed the lives of so many people. And he can change your life and he can change, he changes other people's lives. But the main thing he was here for was to be our sacrifice. And provide a way for his righteousness to bear all of our sins. And if you're here today and you've been struggling with different things or you've been asking questions and maybe... Things about scripture are difficult for you to understand and maybe there are things about what Jesus is is saying or what you read in the scripture that you're like, I just don't know about that. Don't let it turn you away from him just like those throngs of people did on the side of the sea. Believe. That's what God wants from you. And when you believe in Jesus as Savior, when you say yes to him, all the other stuff, all the other stuff will work itself out. But the first step is to trust in him. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I'm going to be standing up here over the side and worshiping with you. I would love to talk to you today. I'd love to talk to you, to pray with you, to share scripture with you if you have questions and let you know about this Jesus that I believe in because I want you to believe in him too. If you're here and you're, you have already made that decision to accept Jesus for who he is and you're dealing with other things, he is a God that can change lives and he is a God that cares and once you have trusted in him that he says that you're his own and that he wants to care for his own and to bear your burdens too he doesn't just want to bear our sins to get us into eternity but he will bear your burdens today if you'll turn them over to him thank you for listening we encourage you to take some next steps this week one Both the Passover and the Easter story are about salvation. Past, present, and future, God offers salvation to those who put their trust in him. If you have not made the decision to rely on Jesus instead of yourself, accept his offer. Two, join our Pathway family this Saturday for Food Truck Saturday at 4 p.m. in our back parking lot. There will be food, yard games, and more. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com slash connect.